Uh, glad to have uh, you guys here on uh, Super Bowl uh, Sunday. Um, apparently, also bitter, bitter cold Sunday. <laughs> you could call it, you could call it either. Uh, glad you're here. Glad you're joining us online. Uh, really good to uh, have you all with us. I want to present a hypothetical uh, to you uh, to start uh, today's sermon, and you can just kind of go with it. But I want you to imagine for a minute that you are a fan of a storied uh, basketball program. Uh, for the purposes of the illustration, we'll call it Michigan State, all right? Um, and uh, they've won a, a lot of games. And th- this year, you're really excited about this year, even though you lost some players. And the, and the season starts where you're winning games. As a matter of fact, you win so many games uh, that you crack the top five. You're one of the best teams in the country. People are talking about maybe another national championship. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of stuff hits and uh, you start losing games. Uh, you start losing a lot of games. Uh, you drop out of the 25, and then, this is all just hypothetical, but um, there's talk of maybe not making the NCAA tournament for the first time in 23 years. Uh, let me ask you a question. As, if that were to unfold in your life, what are some of the behaviors that would associate a lack of hope in your team? What are some of the behaviors, all right? Maybe for you, I'm, I'm not gonna speak for me, but um, maybe for you, like you wouldn't wanna watch the games as much because it's not fun watching people play really badly. Um, maybe for you, you'd like yell at the TV sometimes and scare your three-year-old, just hypothetically, all right? Not saying that's, that's me. Um, maybe you wouldn't wanna wear uh, your jersey as much and your Michigan State stuff as much. Um, maybe people would comment on that. They'd notice you haven't worn it in a while and maybe all that would be true. Um, the, the truth is that when hope runs out, for hope in anything, and that's a silly illustration. I'm gonna point to a more serious one later in the sermon. But when hope runs out, we don't make the best decisions. A lot of times our hope runs out when what we perceive as our conceivable options when they have run out. So your hope might run out when your parenting options seem exhausted for the day, right? You've tried timeouts. You've tried negative reinforcement. You've tried positive reinforcement. You've tried begging and crying and ignoring the behavior and hope has run out and now all that's left is yelling, right? Your hope runs out when your financial options seem exhausted and you've tried like returning the item. You've tried negotiating. You've tried niceness and all that seems left in your mind now that hope is gone is just kind of rage, right? Your hope is running out when your career options have run out and you've played the game and you've smoothed at the parties and you've talked to the right people and nothing seems to be happening. We do not make the best decisions when hope is run out. That's what we're gonna see in our story today. I wanna kind of set up, we're gonna be in Genesis 16 eventually uh, if if you wanna flip over there. But remember this kind of situation that we've been in is God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and he says, I want you to leave uh, your country, your people, your father's household and buddy, start walking. I'll let you know when you get there. And along with that call comes promises that I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. All of these, I'm gonna bless whoever blesses you, all of this stuff and you're gonna, Eventually, you're going to be a blessing to the entire world, and all these promises are made, and the only problem is is that God has promised to build a nation through Abraham, but at the age of 75, he and his wife Sarah have no children. And so they're kind of left scratching their head. I mean, I don't know a lot about nation building, but I know you need at least one person outside of yourself uh, uh, you know, to, to, develop, to develop the nation. And so a lot of the story of Abraham up to the point where we've come to today 
is Abraham and Sarah trying to figure out like how to help God along, right? He's made these promises. Does he really know what he's doing? And so initially they kind of pick Lot and uh, Lot's a train wreck. And so it takes about two chapters, but Abraham's like, Lot's not the boy, right? He, he's not going to be the heir. And then last chapter we saw that uh, he kind of identifies Eleazar, uh, who is a servant in his household. And they're just trying to figure out how are these promises going to come true uh, when we don't have an heir. And it seems to me, we come to this point in the story where hope has run out for them. They're getting older and older and older, grayer and grayer and grayer, and they still don't have any children and they don't know what to do. And when hope runs out, decision-making is never at its best. And that's exactly what we're gonna see Abraham and Sarah. I, I kind of thought about breaking this uh, text into chunks. What I wanna do, I wanna read just the whole thing. It reads like a story. It'll be on the screen for you. And I want you to kind of absorb the whole story, all right? Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Notice where immediately she goes here, right? Lord, you've done this. So she says to Abraham, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan uh, 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Don't you love this back? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's your fault. Your slave's in your hands. Do whatever you want, whatever you think is best. So Sarah mistreated Hagar and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was uh, the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Ishmael for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Every mother wants to hear, right? He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. Uh, she gave this name uh, to the Lord who spoke to her. So God names Ishmael, tells her to name him Ishmael. And she says, God, would it be okay if I gave you a name, right? And this is the name she gave. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. This is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave him the name Ishmael uh, to the son he had born. Abraham was 86 years old, 86 year old when uh, Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now, it's important to understand that this was a legitimate way to handle infertility at, the, at this time, all right? We read this story and we're like, this is screwed up. This is days of our lives, right? These people are messed up. Go sleep with this person, have a child through them. This, this is just gross, right? And, and we are reading kind of our cultural understanding into it, but this was a legitimate way to deal with an inability to have children and, and, and infertility problem. Now, 
The problem with this plan for this couple is it contradicts what God had been promising, promising them all along was going to happen. Right? So if you kind of divorce your cultural mindset and say, all right, that story's nasty, they're gross. I just lost a ton of respect for Abraham and Sarah. If you kind of divorce your kind of cultural mindset of it and say, all right, this was a legitimate way to deal with infertility, this story is still wrong for them because it stands in contrast to what God had promised. Remember just a chapter earlier, Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit is Eleazar of Damascus. Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household must be my heir. God, what are you doing what are you doing, God? And then the word of the Lord came to him. Quick correction. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up and, and count the, the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham and Sarah, you can read this into the story. It doesn't even uh, you know, take knowing like original Hebrew and all that. You can just read it in the story. They're frustrated. They're angry and they believe the promise, but they're having a hard time seeing how God could ever fulfill his promises to them at their age and they have lost hope. And it's in this moment of having lost hope about how God's even gonna do what he promised them he would do that kind of, there are two symptoms of this loss of hope that I wanna share with you this morning. And the first one is, is that they, it le this loss of hope leads them to take over and make it happen on their own. So all right, we, and we've seen this throughout the story. It's like, all right, God, I have lost hope in how you're gonna do what you said you're gonna do. Let me help you. Help me help you, right? Let me help you. Let me get this done for you. And it's true, all right? If, if, uh, just kind of a, a quick reading of the text. You can see that God had not promised that the child would come through Sarah. Even in the text I shared the chapter before, it's that the, the child would come through Abraham. But I think, all right, call me crazy, I think, given the way that God feels about marriage, you could make a clear argument that God had intended for the child to come from both of them. They are parsing God's words here. Well, God didn't technically say Sarah. He just said it was coming uh, through me. And I think it's a safe assumption that God intended, and because of, we know how the story plays out too, that, that it's a safe assumption that God intended for the child to be born to Abraham and Sarah, not Abraham and Hagar. The truth is, when we lose hope and we take the wheel, the truth is that human solutions do not typically go well. They just don't. We are called to wait on God. We are called to hope in God. And truth be told, doesn't that sound like something you hear in church, right? Wait on God, right? Hope in God. It sounds like something you would hear a preacher like me say. It sounds over-spiritualized and honestly a little bit unclear. So when I talk about wait on God and human solutions that don't wait on God, let me add a little bit of clarity to exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, there, there are three things that I think we could point to is that when I talk about human solutions that don't wait on God, I'm talking about solutions that, for instance, violate God's word, right? So God's will, uh, God will never contradict himself. So let me just be real clear. A godly solution to a rough marriage is not having an affair, right? God has spoken on that. He won't contradict himself. A godly solution to financial trouble is never ever stealing, 
God has spoken on that. A godly solution to relational problems is never anger and bitterness. A godly solution to a tough situation is never lying. So when I say human solutions that don't wait on God, one possibility is it's a human solution that violates some part of his word or some part of his will. The other thing I'm talking about when I say God, uh, human solutions that don't wait on God is I'm talking about solutions that don't seek God. Right? Solutions that aren't prayed about or uh, solutions where we, we don't seek God's will through prayer. Right? And one of the things that's made really clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that God doesn't just have a desire to lead Abraham. He leads Abraham, but God has a desire to lead you. And through his Holy Spirit, he's doing that exact thing. He is leading you. We just need to slow down, pray, and listen. And I really believe this with all of my heart. God has a plan for you. God is leading you. We just need to listen to how he's doing that. But he will make it clear. One of the things uh, that happened to Cheryl and I when we were uh, trying to kind of uh, start our family and have children and all of that stuff is we uh, were going through infertility treatments. And one of the kind of wise decisions that we stumbled on, all right, uh, the wise decision we stumbled on was that we pre-decided how far we were going to go in the infertility world. And so we had sat down, we prayed, we talked, we kind of brainstormed and we said, all right, we think that for us, we think God is calling us to go this far and we pre-decided. Well, there came a point when we had gotten to that point. And we kind of turned to each other and we said, all right, it's time to pursue adoption. We think God is calling us to adopt, but uh, we were second guessing it a little bit because there were still options available to us in the infertility world. But it's like, no, we pre-decided this. We prayed about this. God is calling us to adopt, but it was still, there was still some ten tension in our soul. And I will never forget this as long as I live. The first application fee that we had for the adoption uh, was a, a real short form, but the application fee was $500. And so we filled it in kind of in faith, believing this is what God has called us to. And uh, we sent it in. And the day or the day after we sent it in, uh, we received a reimbursement for the fertility clinic in overpayment for $500. Uh, and I really felt like it was kind of God giving us a wink and a nod. That, hey, you're doing the right thing. I'm leading you. You're, you're listening to me. And, and it was kind of God saying, you're on the right path. And God does that all the time. I bet you could get up here and tell your own story about that. About how God with a little wink and a nod was like, hey, I'm leading you. I'm leading you. You're, you're listening to me. This is the path that I have for you. And the last thing, when I talk about human decisions that don't wait on God, I'm talking about decisions that are unwise. Let's get back to our story for a minute. I wanted to read that whole text to you for a reason, all right? And I know it was kind of a long text to just read it verbatim, but I wanted to do it for a reason. I wanted to kind of discover from you, did you have the same reaction that I did listening to that story unfold of, this is going to go badly? There's no, way for, there's no way this goes well, right? There's no way this goes well. This is going to go badly. And here's the thing with this story as you're reading it, totally predictable, you don't have to have a counseling degree. You don't have to be a therapist. You don't even have to be super people wise to see in that story, this plan is gonna go south in a hurry. And we've all had this experience before where you're sitting with someone that you care about and they're sharing with you their future plans. And you're listening to the story and you would never say it out loud, but here's, maybe you would, but here's the thought that you have. 
no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's unwise. It's not a good idea. You know, your friend sits down and they're like, hey, I'm going to quit my job and do this. And then, no, 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 no. Be- before you do that, let's talk. Or I'm going to end my marriage and do this. Or I'm going to uh, take my money and invest in this, right? And you're going, it is so unwise. And it is so predictable. And it's how unwise it is, right? I think one of the gifts that God has given us, and I don't know if Abraham and Sarah had this. There's no indication in the story that they did. But one of the gifts that God has given us is community, Community, God is leading us and he gives us his people to help us do that. So God's like, I'm leading you. Here's some people to help you listen to how I'm leading you. And community, all that means is it's a group of people that you can sit down and you can say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. And a true community is a group of people that will say out loud what I just expressed. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't do that, right? Let's rethink this. Let, let's strategize a, a little bit. Um, and, uh, and community is so important. There's just no indication. I mean, I think you have to give props a little bit to Abraham and Sarah that they, they uh, turn to each other to t- try to figure this problem out, but there's no indication they turn to anybody else. And this was so predictable that it was going to go badly. It was unwise. It, it wasn't the right thing to do. And it, it also stood in violation of what God had already promised them. And that's part of the, un, uh, the, the, the unwiseness. I, yeah, the lack of wisdom surrounding that that decision. So the first thing that happens is when they have lost hope and what God is going to do is they take the wheel and they try to figure it on their own. The second thing is where I want to spend the rest of our time together. And it's when they've lost hope, you immediately begin to see this mistreatment of others. You notice that when I read the story, how much, how much mistreatment there is in this story? Hagar mistreats Sarah. Sarah mistreats Hagar in response, relationships are devolving and it's all because of lack of hope. Hagar doesn't have hope. She's the servant in this situation. What's she gonna do? She has no hope. Sarah is losing hope. She's in her 80s. God hasn't blessed her with children yet. And she she doesn't know where to turn to uh, to make that happen. And so Sarah doesn't have any hope. She feels like she's out of options. And when you remove hope from a person, when you remove hope, from a culture, this almost always happens. We begin to lash out at each other. It's why hope is so important. It's why I love the end of the story. So Hagar runs, she's in this hopeless state. Sarah's in this hopeless state. It looks really, really bad. Hagar runs away. The angel of the Lord appears and says, you know, go back, submit to your, uh, submit to your boss sort of thing, go back and submit. And you're going to give birth to a son. It won't be the promised child, but it's going to be a son. There's going to be some hostility between the families. There's consequences to what's happened here. But then Hagar kind of says, God, I want to give you a name. And here it is. You are the God who sees. You are the God who sees. And all of a sudden, her hope in God is restored. I wonder if Abraham and Sarah needed to be reminded of this too that he is a God who sees. And he has a plan, and he has a purpose, and he sees and listen. God is never out of options. God has never played his final card and been like, I hope this works. If this doesn't work, we're all in trouble, right? God is never out of cards. He's never out of options. He's always working a plan. I wonder if you need to be reminded of that too.
Maybe the last year you felt that things are totally out of control and maybe over the last year you've lost hope a little bit. Today I want to remind you, God sees. He sees you. He sees what's going on. He's still on his throne. He's still in control. He still has purpose and plan and he has not yet played his last card. I want to paint for you another hypothetical situation. A little more serious than the one I played before, but just kind of go with me on it. I want you to think for a minute about a a global pandemic hits our land. It leads to stay-at-home orders, mask mandates, economic uncertainty for our nation. In the middle of it, you have race tensions that have increased. You have a contentious election that is taking place. No one knows how much longer it's going to go. No one knows why God is allowing it. Everyone is frustrated. Everyone is losing hope. Let me ask you, If you were to play out that scenario, even divorced from our situation, if you were to outline a situation where an entire nation or group of people have seemed to have lost hope, what would you expect to be the behavior that would accompany that loss of hope? Well, I suspect that in that scenario, you would see anger like you've never seen it before. I would suspect in that scenario where a group, a huge group of people have lost hope, I would suspect that you would see rioting, looting, and destruction. I suspect that in that scenario where a group of people have lost hope, I suspect that you would see a mental health issue, mental health issues at all-time high. I would suspect you would see discouragement at all-time high. I suspect that in a scenario like that where a lot of people have lost hope, you would see some really unwise decisions being made. You might even have a group of people storm the Capitol to try to stop an election from being certified if you really want to go out there. I suspect that in that scenario, you would see people seeking out certain leaders to do what they thought was right and and to do how they thought it was going to come to an end and people seeking God and his will wouldn't even happen anymore. I suspect that our violent and racist tendencies would emerge. And I suspect that in that that scenario, you would see people become almost obsessed with their rights instead of how to serve their neighbor. And it happens when people lose hope. And it happens when we feel like we're all out of options. And today, we need to be reminded of a God who's never out of options. So there's no reason for us to lose hope today. There is no reason the behaviors we've seen in this country over the last year are tied to a hopelessness. Not so with you. Not so with you. You have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you better than anyone knows that God is never out of options because you serve a savior who came to earth to deal with sin and one day humanity took him and put him on a cross and killed him and put him in a tomb and it seemed like God didn't have a single card left to play. It seemed like it was over. It seemed hopeless. But God was up in heaven And he looked down at that situation and he said, I have another card to play and it's the most powerful card of all. It is the the card of resurrection. And he laid that card and Jesus burst from the tomb in uh, in, in, in glory. And he lived again and he taught again and he ascended to heaven where he is seated on the throne. So we as followers of that guy, We understand that there's always another card to play. There is always hope, so we never lose hope. 
And I can't help but wonder if there is a better way. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture. God said this uh, originally to Israel. So it's for Israel, but I think it applies to us and our situation. It is a statement that is made to people that should have their hope in God. It is a statement that is made to a people that should worship him and have their hope in him. And they are never hopeless. They are always hopeful. And I want to show you what God said, because I think this is kind of a statement about a people who have their hope in God. And here's what God says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What if that described us today as a people who have their hope in God, who have their hope in Jesus. Let me say it to you another way. Church, right now, we need humility that seeks his face and not pride that insists on my way. Right now, we need personal repentance and not finger pointing. Right now, we need Jesus, not Democrats or Republicans. And healing can come. Healing can come to you, healing can come to me, healing can come to our land, but it's only going to come when God's people stop insisting on their plan in their hopeless state, like, no, God, we got this, we can fix this, we know what the solution is, and God's just standing back going, whoa, 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 seek my face. It's gonna, it's gonna, healing's gonna come when we stop insisting on our plan and start seeking his face, and it's gonna come when in our hopelessness, we stop mistreating people and we start demonstrating love. When we renew our hope, I love this phrase of the Bible, renew your hope. When we renew our hope in God who's on the throne, God who is in control, and God who is not even close to playing his last card. You get that, right? Not even close. He still has a plan. He still has a purpose. He still knows what he's doing. He doesn't need my help. He needs my faithfulness. He wants my faithfulness. He's inviting me to, to be faithful. And he doesn't need me keeping other people in line. He needs me to demonstrate his love. So today, if you're feeling like Abraham and Sarah, and you just don't get what he's doing, and you don't get how things have gotten into this position, and you, you've lost hope a little bit, you maybe wouldn't say it exactly that way, but you've lost hope, today I want to invite you to renew it. Renew your hope in God and leave this place with a little bit more pep in your step because he's not close to done. He's not close to done with you. He's not close to done with us. He still has a plan and a purpose, but it's going to require us to renew that hope and to be an example to this world of what a hopeful people look like. We've seen a lot of examples of what hopelessness looks like. We need some examples of this is what hope looks like. This is what hopeful looks like. It looks like kindness. It looks like patience. It looks like endurance. It looks like faithfulness. It looks like when everybody's freaking out, I am calm. We need to see more examples of, of hopeful, and that's who we are. We serve a Savior who was in the tomb, and it looked like it was over. God said, I've got the biggest card of all, resurrection. And he's not close to done, so have your hope be in him. Let's receive communion together. It's under your, under your seat that Abraham and Sarah and Hagar 
they, need to be, they needed to be reminded of this God to hope in, this God to have our faith in. And we wanna remember and even celebrate this moment right now where it seemed like all was lost, seemed like it was over, but God had another card to play. And so I'm gonna open us up with prayer. I'm gonna leave a little bit of time. I, I wanna encourage you to renew your hope. And I'm gonna leave a little bit of time for you to just say, man, God, I have been feeling hopeless, but I, I've forgotten about you. You're God. And you've got the biggest cards of all. You've got resurrection cards. So my hope is in you personally, corporately, and for our nation. My hope is in you. So let me pray, leave a little bit of time for you, and then I'll come back and we'll receive communion together. All right? Heavenly Father, we renew our hope in you. We have seen a lot of examples last year of what hopeless looks like. But we want to start to be the example of what hopeful looks like, to be full of that hope that you have given us. So right now, we renew our hope in you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. His body given for you, his blood poured out. He is a God who sees. He sees you, he's engaged with you, he sees us, he's engaged with us. May your hope be in him. And may it never waver. May it stand firm in the middle of difficulty, but may your hope be in him. Hey, we're going to study next week one of my uh, favorite elements of this Abraham story is that uh, we see a story like this where Abraham and his wife Sarah, where their faith kind of fails and uh, they make some mistakes and you know, people get hurt and all of that. And what we see in this story again and again and again is that in the very next chapter, uh, God is gonna show up and he's gonna renew the covenant. He's gonna remind Abraham of the covenant and Sarah of the covenant and remind them of how, and it's just such a beautiful picture of grace that when our hope fails, when our faith fails, we can return to our savior and he says, I forgive you, but remember, I've got a great plan for you. I've got promises for you. Walk in faith and walk in hope. And it's just a beautiful picture to me that is available to Abraham and Sarah and is available to us, that his grace is sufficient. So if you walked in here hopeless, my prayer is that you walk out of here hopeful. Uh, and uh, next week we'll uh, see that story uh, of the renewal of the covenant um, uh, play out. I mentioned on Facebook that in a fit of pastoral brilliance, uh, the, the covenant is the covenant of circumcision. We're studying it on uh, Valentine's Day. I mean, I don't know that I could have planned it any better. I don't know how I could have. Uh, so the, the spirit is at work, right? So uh, I, I looked at that. I was like, oh, what have I done? You know, I just wasn't paying attention. So, uh, so we'll, we'll be together next week and we're going to just study this covenant again and the reminder uh, of a God who makes promises and may our hope be in him. God bless. Have a great week.